there's kind of 10-year cycles, five or six years up, slight downturn, a little flat, then another five or six years up. So there's going to be another up cycle. There'll be numerous up cycles. And what I would encourage the listeners to do is don't so much focus on timing the market. I've been in the business 45 years. I can't predict what the market's going to be like in 2025. I have no idea what interest rates are going to be. I don't know. I do know if I invest in real estate prudently and have a long-term perspective, I'm going to come out ahead at the end of the day. So I would suggest people consider time in the market is probably a better approach than trying to time the market because I think that's very difficult. This is the Passive Real Estate Strategies Podcast, where we educate career-driven individuals who have tapped out their earning potential, learn about passive real estate investing so you can continue building your wealth without compromising your time or taking on more responsibilities. I'm your host and managing partner at Realm Investors, a multifamily syndication group who has helped multiply millions of dollars for our passive investors. Thanks for tuning in and let's get on with the show. Hey investors, welcome back to another episode of Passive Real Estate Strategies. Today, I am sitting down with Arn and Arn is a broker and investor with over four decades of experience in this industry. He built a sizable single family portfolio in the Bay Area where many of you know I'm from and all across the country. Now recently, Arn has transitioned his single family portfolio into multifamily properties and currently manages and operates a portfolio just shy of a hundred million dollars. Now Arn, we're so excited to have you on the show. Justin, happy to be here. Happy holidays to all the listeners and Look forward to having a nice chat with you. Absolutely. So I love your experience. I love having people on the show who've been active and who've been passive. What kind of came first? Tell us about your your beginnings into the investment space. You started in single family. Correct. So way back when, when I was 22, I got into the real estate business, had the good fortune to sell houses in Menlo Park in Palo Alto, California, which is basically Silicon Valley, probably the greatest residential market in the world. And at that time, I used the brokerage income to purchase single-family homes, both in California, the Bay Area, and elsewhere across the country. And I pretty much did that for 30, 35 years. And then I kind of got tired of doing the single family things. Many of those houses were self-managed. And so I had a conversation with a young investor buddy here in Greenville, South Carolina, where I now live, right about the time COVID came down, Hmm. March 2020. And that kind of opened my eyes to multifamily investing I started consuming podcasts like yours and many others to kind of increase my knowledge base. And certainly I'd been in residential real estate my entire career, so I didn't have maybe as far to go as some, but that kind of started the multifamily investing. And as you note, I actually started as a passive investor, Yeah, probably made five or six passive investments, and then 
as I would have conversations with operators like yourself, I would say, oh, by the way, I'm kind of interested in moving into the active side. I have the ability to raise capital. If you ever need any help, please let me know. And over a period of time, that opened some doors and I moved into the active space, but I started with the passive. Got it. And so tell us, I, mean, I, I would love to dive into that passive experience, but I want to just, because we have pretty similar backgrounds. I was a broker in the Bay Area as well, in East Bay, so across the bridge. Now, when you were buying up these single family homes and you, I mean, you started out locally and then kind of branched out, how did you go about self-managing that sizable of a portfolio? Is it was it easier than you thought? Was it so difficult? You said, I just got to get out of this. This is unbearable. Or what was that like? Yeah, well, that that's a great question. And so I started buying single family homes in the Bay Area. And I started back in the late 70s, early 80s when they weren't a million five, a million two. So it was a little easier for me. And on the properties that I bought elsewhere in the country, I went right to third-party property management, all right? I had no interest in trying to manage a property cross-country. I invested in Austin, also found my way into Virginia to buy some single-family homes. In the Bay Area, I was able to self-manage the properties. And of course, my experience is a little different. I was a real estate broker. I was out and about talking to buyers, sellers, tenants, property managers, contractors, title company. And so I didn't have a W-2 job that I had to be there 50, 60 hours a week. You know, if I did have a W-2 job where I had to be at a specific location, I probably couldn't have done it. So for me, it was just kind of part and parcel of my overall real estate business so yes, at times I'd get frustrated. Invariably, it would seem right as I was heading out of town on vacation, I'd get a call from a tenant, the furthest of yeah. work or the hot. I mean, it's amazing how that happens. Soon as you go out of town, something goes down. Yeah. So over time, I got less enamored of it and was looking to kind of make a switch. Yeah. It's so funny because in the at least in the broker space, there's always this saying, you know, if you don't have any listings, plan a vacation. And then well, that's when you're going to get all the calls. One hundred. Oh, so we kind of traded out of some of your single family portfolio. Can I ask you just bluntly, why did you trade out of that? I mean, over you know about four decades, I would imagine those properties were doing pretty well, and the basis you got them at was probably pretty low. Was the cash flow okay, or were you more on appreciation on those, or how did that really play out for you? Yeah, that that's another great question. So. What I do, what I've done for years is, as many investors do, you have a spreadsheet and it shows all your properties, right? And you update the market value, you update the loan balance, you keep track of expenses, you keep track of your rent. And so what became apparent to me was while these properties, as you know, had appreciated and I had pretty sizable equity in them, really my cash return on that equity was probably three to 4%. Interesting. And, yeah. You know, and I'm not complaining. They appreciated greatly in value. They built up a net worth, a capital stack, an equity that I could move around. 
But in terms of the cash on cash return, it was still relatively low. And so I wanted to start looking for investments that would provide a higher cash on the equity return. And so that's when I started looking to multifamily. Okay. So so that, that's somewhat of an advanced concept, I think, that I don't want to breeze over for some of maybe the listeners who don't know what that is. So the return on the equity, meaning essentially there's an opportunity cost to not sell those properties. Right. If you could sell it and make a million bucks in your pocket, okay, every day, you know, we hear this a lot in the investment space too. Every day you decide not to sell, you decide to buy. You're deciding every day that you don't sell that property, that you want to buy that property, you want to keep your money there. So you saw this opportunity, even though maybe the cash flow was good or the mortgage was low, or you know, it would be fine just to sit back and keep taking in the rents. There was opportunity costs there by keeping your equity locked up. So okay. I love that that thought process. So when you were, so now you you trade out maybe some or all of the portfolio, I'm not quite sure, but you're sitting on this cash now and you're looking at investing in multifamily and you did so as a limited partner, a passive investor before you started doing it active. What was, well, first of all, how many, how many LP deals did you do? How many doors? I would say I'm now at about 800 doors, maybe 900 doors, so probably seven or eight LP deals. Okay. One or two have gone full cycle and have done very well, and the others are are doing well. So I would say about eight, maybe 800, 1,000 units. At a certain point, it's hard to keep track. Yeah. I keep track of the ACH deposits that come in every yep. month, <laughs> and I make sure to keep track of that. But anyway, I'd say seven or eight, typically either in the Southeast or the Mountain West or kind of the regions that that mm-hmm. I have invested in. So Got that's it. kind of where they are. Yeah. Okay. So we're investing as an LP in these deals. Now, how did you, I guess, looking back at the deals that you've done for some of those listeners who are maybe looking for their first operator or their vetting operators now, what kind of things did you look for? And and going back or going forward, what kind of things are you looking for different criteria now that you've had a little bit of experience? Has your criteria remained relatively the same? What does that look like for you? Uh, yeah, good question. So I would say my criteria has remained relatively the same. That being said, I think one of the great things about being a passive investor is you have a, let's call it, smorgasbord of opportunities, right? You can invest in the Midwest. You can invest in the Southwest. You can invest in the Southeast, Florida, Texas. So you have geographic diversity. You also can choose to invest in brand new Class A buildings, Class B, value-add Class C. So I think one great thing about being a passive investor is you have the ability to kind of diversify your portfolio, both by geography and by asset class. And I think in a crazy or sometimes crazy financial world, diversification is a way to maybe minimize risk, which I think is important. So that's one. Number two, I think you have to spend time to get to know the operator and the sponsor. And that's going to mean having one or two fairly in-depth conversations, probably attending one or two webinars, reviewing the marketing material, following it up with additional questions. 
And I think at that point, one, a passive investor needs to rely on their life experience because you'll talk to somebody and either you're going to get good vibes and you feel like you can trust this person and what the person's saying makes sense to you, or on occasion, you may be talking to somebody and it's just that little voice in your head yeah. is going off, okay? So I would pay attention to that and use your intuition. I think the other thing I would say is pick a sponsor who has a track record in the type property they're trying to fund now. So what that means is there are some great operators that do class C value add and they're great at it. And, the, and they've done it over and over. Yeah. If they were to all of a sudden now come to a brand new class A without a value add component, then it would kind of be, well, wait a second, you kind of establish a track record in value add and now you're doing class A. Personally, if I was a passive investor, I would probably feel more comfortable having them do another class C value add deal because that's what they've done. The other thing I would say is you often want an operator, and I think this is very important, that already owns one or two assets in that market. Because I know by myself, if I go to a new market, I'm establishing a new team, new property manager, new renovation contractors, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And there's always a few little stumbles, you know, not disaster, but it takes time to build up that team in that location. The other thing is, which is really great, is if you're working with an operator that owns two or three buildings in a particular market, they know that market like the back of their hand because they have 150, 200 units in that market. They know what those units rent for. They know what it costs to get the HVAC repaired. So similar type product in a market that they've worked in before and then rely on your gut instinct. And I think if you follow it that way, you'll do well. The other thing I would say coming back to the diversification is don't go all in with one operator on your first deal, right? I think you're better... Invest a little here, invest a little here, and now you can see. And then what happens and what's happened for me is you'll find one or two operators that you just love. Okay. They communicate well, they hit their performa, the distributions come on time, and then you may find one that isn't quite as good. Well, next time around, you're going to invest with the guy or the woman who you've had a good experience with. Hey, investor, really quickly, if you're enjoying the show, please, please, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review on the platform you're listening on. It really does help us reach more people just like you who want to build their wealth without taking on more responsibility or sacrificing more hours. It's one of the greatest compliments a podcaster like me can receive. Thank you so much in advance. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all really, really great because it's really the sponsor is going to make or break that investment. You know, the market will help, the property type will help, the debt will help, but the sponsor is really what's going to make that be a 
big win or a big loss and all the other things can make it a slam dunk or just totally crush it. But that operator is so important to pick. And, you know, speaking to having experience in that class, yeah, a lot of people, I guess, don't realize that there's different classes of apartments, there's different business plans, there's different tenant avatars and bases. And just because you're good at one does not mean you're, you're good. At, that was something that I had a hard time wrapping my head around when I got in this space. I mean, it's an apartment, right? Well, what do you mean? Do you have tenants? Do you have maintenance? What's the big deal? It's just different. Managers are different. They can't really handle all types. So yeah, I totally agree. One thing that I love asking, you know, people who have been around the block for as long as you have, because one critique that I hear maybe from a little bit of a younger demographic when they're thinking of real estate investing, or even somebody who is in their professional life, but they just always think, oh, it's too late. You know, everybody who made money in real estate made it before, or, hey, you know, the guys like Arn, they came in, you know, 40 years ago. That's where the money was made. So looking back at your investment experience from back then to now, how have things really changed in the real estate game? Are you seeing returns be different? Are you maybe there's less cash flow now versus there was more back then or are business plans different? Or how has things how have things been different from somebody from your perspective who's been doing this for so long? Well, a good question. And so I think the way I would answer this is if you have a long-term perspective, the patterns and the cycles have great similarity. So generally, in my experience, investing in real estate over the last 40, 45 years is in most markets, you typically have kind of a strong growth boom market for five or six years. And then maybe you have a slight pullback, a slight downturn, and then maybe you have one or two years of flat. And as all that does is set the floor for the next run up. So if you were to look at real estate cycles, almost to the minute, there's kind of 10 year cycles, five or six years up, slight downturn, a little flat, then another five or six years up. So there's going to be another up cycle. There'll be numerous up cycles. And what I would encourage the listeners to do is don't so much focus on timing the market. I've been in the business 45 years. I can't predict what the market's going to be like in 2025. I have no idea what interest rates are going to be. I don't know. I do know if I invest in real estate prudently and have a long-term perspective, I'm going to come out ahead at the end of the day. So I would suggest people consider time in the market is probably a better approach than trying to time the market because I think that's very difficult. Um, right now, for example, uh, we are facing some economic uncertainty. There's some economic headwinds. There's talk of recession. Right. Interest rates have increased, but I'm still a buyer and I'm not so concerned about what the property will be worth a year from now. I'm more concerned about what the property will be worth five to 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. And I think if you take that perspective, uh, it's a lot more relaxing situation because I think if you were to ask somebody, do you really think the price of housing long term is going to go down? Do you think the price of rents going to go down long term? I would say that's not been my life experience. Mm -hmm. 
So have a long-term focus and don't be too distracted by the little momentary up and down and turbulence. And that circles back to the idea of the importance of the operator, because if an operator knows what they're doing, they'll have backup plans, contingency plans, they'll know how to react to changing market situation. And you can kind of navigate through that. And if you do, you're going to come out the other end and you're going to end up winning. Yeah. No, I love that. Just having that long-term mindset. And it's tough too, because with the debt markets, just, you know, these last couple of years were really attractive for short-term debt. That's what really sucked. That's what was hard for a lot of people. And this next, next year, I think 2023 is going to be really big for a lot of savvy investors because there's a lot of short-term debt coming up and they can't afford to refi into these interest rates because you know, in my opinion, a lot of things were bought really, really, really aggressively. And now those loans are going to come up this year and to refi it in from a, a 3% into a 7% now, they probably won't be able to do it. So it's going to go back on the market. They're going to need to sell them. So I think that's really important to, you know, when you are that long-term investor and you have that long-term vision, it doesn't really bother you when you see those downturns because you generally can still rent properties out for pretty well. You're generally still cash flowing pretty well. You don't really need to eat a loss in a down market because you're, you're long-term. You just don't need that vision. I really like the perspective that you have on there. So are you still investing passively in LP positions or are you all on the active side now? Now I'm all on the active side simply because, as you know, uh, to be on the active side and secure some of these assets, uh, you need to have some liquid capital. Yeah. You need to put down some sizable earnest money deposits. You have, you know, out-of-pocket expenses during due diligence, legal fees, loan mm. fees. So for me, I've been happy with the passive investments, but at the moment I'm kind of preserving my capital for my own deals. And I think that's the best way to go because in order to compete in this space, you have to have some capital and you have to, well, one, know what you're doing, but you also have to have some level of confidence and guts to proceed after these assets. And if you have the capital to do that, you're in a better position to win the deal. And as you note, there may be operators coming into trouble here in the next year or so. The buyers that pick those properties up are going to be the buyers who have cash and can move quickly. Yeah. Well, I love it. So, I mean, Arna, I love the conversation that I have with guys like you who have so much experience under the belt, different asset classes, passive and active. What are your final thoughts on people out there who are those passive investors? You know, like, like you said right now, there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of volatility. Nobody knows which way is up, down, or sideways. Nobody knows what the Fed's going to do. I think a lot of seasoned guys like us kind of sense when the opportunity is on the horizon, but to maybe people who are more that retail investor who don't follow as closely and may not be top of mind. What do you say out there to past investors today as you're kind of having conversations with them? Uh, I ask them to think about long-term and I would keep investing. I heard an analogy on a podcast the other day in the stock market. We understand about dollar cost averaging, right? Where you just invest a certain sum of money periodically in the market and 
the market's down, you get more shares. If the market's up, you get less shares. And so I think for real estate, that's a good model to follow. And and I can show data where if a passive investor invests $50,000 a year, for example, over a 10-year period, at the end of that 10 years, they're going to create significant wealth. They'll also create significant cash flow. So I think the other thing for the the, the listeners is it doesn't take 30 years to get there. It mm-hmm. takes five to 10 of consistent effort and you'll really start to see the benefits. And then once you see the benefits, then you're going to kind of go, yeah, this is it. And then you'll continue to do that. Mm-hmm. So long-term picture. Um I would be maybe particularly sensitive about the market I invest in now. I think I'd make sure that I'm investing in very strong markets where population growth is going to continue even with the recession, where employers are still coming, and also a place that has three or four major sectors of employment. So it could be auto manufacturing, medical education. It could Mm -hmm. be tech, state government, and so forth. So I think kind of an economy that has several driving factors, not kind of like a one-horse town where if that industry goes down, because during a recession, the stronger areas are going to do just fine. Maybe the growth will slow, but they're still going to do okay, where I think some of the less, I don't know what I'd say, strong, less desirable, less diverse (laughs) economic areas, they'll probably be the ones that suffer a little more in the recession. So I think I'd pay attention to the market, especially now. And again, the operator, if the operator's been through this and has some experience, they've been through some ups and downs and they know how to kind of handle it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate all the insight here. Like I said, love having people like you on the show to really share your knowledge, not just with time in, but also experience active and passive, single family, multifamily, and any of the asset classes that people have experience with. So how can people get in touch with you and who should reach out? Sure. So the name of my company is Spark, S-P-A-R-K Investment Group. And website is investwithspark.com. And I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, so reach out anytime. Happy to chat real estate and help everyone kind of benefit from real estate and create the life they want as it has for me. You know, whatever comfortable life I've obtained in my years, most of it's due to real estate investing. And so I know it works and folks like us just want to help others get there too. Yeah, perfect. We're going to put those resources in the show notes. While you're there, of course, if you haven't already, make sure you download our free definitive guide to passive real estate strategies. Arn, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Happy holidays. Great to spend some time with you. Well, that's it for today's show. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. And if you're looking to learn more about passive real estate investments, make sure you head to our show notes and download our free ebook, The Definitive Guide to Passive Real Estate Strategies, where we reveal the ins and outs of the truly passive ways to invest in real estate. We'll see you on the next episode.